0: This is Chris Westfall, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast.
1: Towards the end of last year, in December 2022, the Wall Street Journal reported that more than 300,000 U.S. accountants and auditors had left their jobs in the past two years. On the academic front, they reported that college enrollment for finance and accounting degrees fell by 17% now this mass exodus of finance and accounting professionals is not entirely a new phenomenon we've heard a lot over the last couple of years about the covid 19 induced great resignation and of quite quitting but where these conversations fall short on is addressing well what happens next what happens now when employers can't fill the gap that's been created by the number of people who have left their finance and accounting jobs and what does this trend or these generational shifts really mean for the industry at large. And for that reason, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very excited to be moderating this panel today. As Olivia mentioned, we have an exceptional lineup of speakers who come from not only diverse backgrounds, but from different parts of the industry to give us some perspective on how every aspect of the finance and accounting landscape is adapting and responding to some of these shifts that we're seeing and hearing about. First, we're joined by Elizabeth Brown, Assistant Director for Student and Diversity Initiatives at the Illinois CPA Society. Elizabeth brings with her an understanding of what's not working from the perspective of a licensing body. Next, we have Mr. Richard Dio-Singh, District President at Robert Half, and Rick joins us with some firsthand experience as to how companies and recruiting firms are navigating these workplace shifts. And finally, we're joined by Dr. Wayne Williams, Associate Professor of Accounting from the Fox School of Business at Temple University. Dr. Williams, amongst all of us perhaps, sits the closest to the students who are opting out of pursuing this path. Before we sink our teeth into this conversation, I want to get a firsthand account of really what you all are seeing from your seats. Starting with Dr. Williams, What are you hearing from students as they think about their futures in finance and accounting? I think Dr. Williams, you might be on mute.
0: (laughs) Did I get it right there? Am I off? Um, Thank you so very much for having me, Shivani. Sorry about that. Um, I would also like to welcome all the uh, FEI attendees as well as the other panelists. So we have a new generation of learners um, that we are encountering in the academy. And one of the things that I think is some information that is helpful about uh, students who are considering accounting amongst the very, you know, number of majors that we have now, I think there may be up to 70 at the Fox School that you can choose in the business school, is that a lot of the students nowadays are uh, more socially conscious and far more altruistic than in the past. And so in this post-pandemic environment, there are four attributes I think that I hear from students about um, whatever their career path is. Um, one of them is that they're, they need to have purpose-driven work. So they're looking for an idea of what is it that I'm actually going to learn uh, while I'm working not what am I going to do but what am I going to learn um along the way another component is that they're people oriented um imagine many of them graduated uh high school and they were uh you know they they did virtual graduations and they were online by the time they complete their undergraduate degree um you know this they have a saying amongst the young people called we're outside and so now they want to go into the work office space and find, uh, you know, the culture of what it's like to work. Simultaneously, we have more seasoned uh, professionals who are trying to figure out how to work more remote. So you have this uh, paradox in which um, new graduates are hearing from others that when they go to the office space, there's really no one there. Um, I think another component of the four attributes that I hear most often is that they want to have a discernible impact. So how do you measure what you're doing in accounting to what impact it has on society overall? And then I think the fourth thing that I kind of see, Shivani, is that um, they're solutions oriented. So um, in terms of just being more transactional, um, in terms of recording transactions, they've actually been taught to ask questions. So um, with that, I will kind of save my next comments, which are some of the blind spots that I think that, um, you know, those who are hiring may have about the current generation.
1: I'm actually glad that you are um, already thinking about how this translates over onto the employer side who are doing the hiring. And I think that leads me, um, it's a great segue for me to ask Rich, What are you seeing? What are some challenges that you see with your clients or even employers in general when it comes to hiring finance and accounting talent? Is there anything unique about these challenges, given the economic conditions that we're facing currently?
2: So uh, thank you for having me, Shivani, and good morning and good good afternoon to everyone on. Look, here's what we're seeing. Uh, We're still seeing that it's a robust uh, employment market, right? Managers that were surveyed, nine out of 10, do have challenges in finding specialized talent. Uh, in fact, the Bureau of Labor Statistics just put out a, uh, a report that there are two jobs for every one unemployed individual. Now, that number has come down over the last year or so because it was a little bit more than two jobs. But in the context of specialized uh, individuals, It could very well be three or four jobs for no available person, because in accounting and finance, there are zero unemployment in some of the functional roles. But what we're also hearing from employers is that they not only do they need to pay market rate uh, or adjust their salaries for market rate or above to attract the talent, they also have to offer a, a flexible work environment where it's, you know, hybrid in some cases, uh, remote in other cases. And it's interesting what Dr. Williams brought up in terms of newer uh, individuals to the employment market wanting to be in an environment, but then you have the tenured people that is looking for a remote environment. So it's that fine balance, right? Because you can't be successful as a company with just uh, new workers uh, or just tenured workers, it's the fine balance between both. So those are the challenges, Shivani, that we continue to see in, in the labor market.
1: That's an interesting, and I think uh, that's an interesting comment. And I think the way that Dr. Williams put it was really hit the nail on the head. It seems like there's a paradox there. Are these two groups of people who you know, have undergone really different backgrounds and environments when coming into the workplace that seem to be at odds when trying to make everyone happy. But I'm curious, Elizabeth, to hear from you as to what you think some of the driving factors are behind these shifts that we're seeing in the accounting and finance profession.
3: Yeah, absolutely, and also to to uh, to pay back off of everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here today. Um, I think that in addition to the priority shifting, I think something that's really important to note is that. People who are graduating and entering the profession now are not thinking quite as long-term as people may have in the past. And so while you know originally people studied accounting, they graduated, they got the CPA, they were on a partner track, the timeline that people that recent grads are focused on is so much shorter now. And so they're really looking for the opportunities that give them the most value in their lives, not just professionally but also personally. And so they hear the stories of the crazy work hours during busy season, which used to be once a year and now is arguably year round. And so they're looking for opportunities that give them more of that work life balance and flexibility. And I do think that that is a generational
1: shift. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, you bring up how timelines have shifted for people. And I think that's a very interesting concept to kind of drill down on, because from my understanding, which um, of the CPA license is very minimal. So I'll open it up to you to please um, kind of fill in the gaps where you see fit. But the timeline for getting a CPA license, I've heard, you know, through colloquial conversations, can sometimes be a factor or deterrent for people to want to even obtain their CPA license. What is the ICPA doing about addressing some of these factors that you think are actually causing these generational shifts?
3: That's a great question. So we recently released um, a report that looked into why young professionals were pursuing the CPA or deciding not to pursue the CPA. Um, And what they told us was that the biggest barrier for them was time commitment um, between workload and personal, you know, other things that they have going on in their lives, that time required to prepare and sit for the exams was their biggest challenge as far as obtaining the CPA licensure. And so Illinois is among one of the last states to transition to the 120 to sit and 150 to become licensed states. Um, And while I don't believe that that will have a tremendous impact on the number of new CPA candidates. I do think that this will be beneficial for CPA candidates as it will allow them to begin sitting for the CPA exam sooner um, than it would have allowed them before with the 150 hours. So speaking of the timeline um, and the time commitment as a barrier, now with the 120 to sit rule, candidates may be able to pass all four sections of the exam before even completing the 150 hours and before starting their full-time jobs. And so we think that this new um, 120 to sit rule will really help candidates as, as far as addressing that time commitment barrier.
1: Dr. Williams, I'm, I'm very curious to get your thoughts on the remarks that Elizabeth just shared with us because from my understanding, Um, the time commitment is not the only hurdle that people face when wanting to pursue a career in accounting. Um, As a faculty advisor to the Temple University of Napa, do you think you can talk about some of the specific hurdles facing minority accounting students?
0: Yeah, so what Elizabeth pointed out I think is huge. So week three of my tax course, Elizabeth, um, someone put in the discussion board, that you could sit for the CPA exam at 120 credits. And it created all of this uh, banter between 150 and 120 and what are the rules? And so the shift in the rules is absolutely intriguing to students because, um, you know, as as well as the CPA, what we're doing at Temple is we have kind of highlighted the importance of the CMA as well in terms of an alternative um, for students who may be able to get to one designation by the time they complete their degree and build the confidence for them to actually go into uh, the CPA. So we don't make them one versus the other. We kind of scale them one to the other. Um, Shivani, and, and with regard to minority students, um, um, the National Association of Black Accountants has really shifted and adjusted its approach from more of a localized um, approach to running the organization to more of a national, more centralized approach, and then going from a national perspective back out to the accounting profession. So. Just connections with organizations like FEI is helpful. And I think the number one barrier for minority students is awareness. So I'll give you an example. On Friday of last week, um, normally we have uh, firms or companies come down to campus. And uh, I, I met um, the, um, the vice president of investment management at Vanguard, and he asked, You know, could he meet some of the NABA students? And I suggested to him, rather than him come to campus and do the canned presentation that they are often seeing from companies, would he be amenable to actually inviting students out to the Vanguard campus? So they made arrangements and about 20 students went out to Vanguard. And what I saw on Monday was the students now kind of saw the campus saw the work environment, understood, you know, what was happening at the company. So one thing that I would convey to companies is to invite students onto their uh, company and not make it just when they do the uh, interview where it's pressure, but actually give them an opportunity to see that work environment Um, that addresses kind of what Rich was talking about.
1: I just want to take a second to take an attendee question, because I think it's really relevant to the conversation that we're having with regards to, you know, the change between 120 versus 150. And the attendee here is asking, you know, are there any discussions around eliminating the rule hour entirety? Um, it seems as though changing the rule to 120, you know, it doesn't really fix the issues that both People who want to obtain their CPA license um, base when they're trying to figure out if this is really what they want to do. I guess, Elizabeth, that's more so a question for you. Do you think you can share any insight? Yeah,
3: absolutely. So I will just say that there is a national conversation going on right now about eliminating the 100 and. 50-hour rule. I'm not able to comment on that as I'm focused on our student pipeline initiatives and not government affairs. However, I do acknowledge that changing it to 120 to sit and maintaining 150 to become licensed does not impact the cost or time um, to obtain those additional hours. However, I will say that in our survey, um, we really found that the two top barriers by far were time commitment and fear of failure, which was kind of an interesting one um, to hear that candidates were really fearful and not confident in their own abilities to succeed. Um, And we were honestly surprised that the cost and time associated with earning the additional 30 credit hours did not rise to the top of our list of barriers. That was one that we've heard anecdotally for Quite some time, um, and so it was interesting that it didn't rise to the top. One thing that we took from that was perhaps there are now plenty of resources in place to help with this, including things like scholarships to pursue the additional coursework, um, scholarships to help you know bridge that gap a bit, and there are also conversations about building in more co-op type programs, which which basically just mean partnerships between universities and firms to help. Um, full-time employees have access to affordable education and credits that they can take while they are also starting their full-time jobs.
0: Shivani, I'd like to build right on that and talk about our Master's of Accountancy program and how it dovetails into what Elizabeth shared, which is what we see with the master's degree is once they're completed, If you can solve through scholarships, like we have an annual banquet, we do fundraising, we provide scholarships, students will in fact continue to go forward and pursue their master's degree. And if you can integrate the prep course along the way, it helps them with really the time management. I think this is the real opportunity for employers I'd be uh, interested in knowing what Rich thinks, right? So how do employers offer different incentives Um, for the students who want to continue. They want to get the work um, done. They want to go into the workforce, but at the same time, they want to build that confidence along the way to pass the CPA exam because it's not necessarily the additional time because they want to get that time, right? And we focus on technology, on tax compliance, and audit so that we are in alignment with the CPA evolution, which is the change in the CPA exam, that kind of solves some of the problems that we're doing in the, in the academy. But being able to get, have employers have the flexibility to allow students to pursue that master's degree at the beginning of their career is probably one of the things that we can't solve on our end.
2: So, Dr. Williams, I, I appreciate you queuing me in because it's a valid point, right? So, outside of tuition reimbursement that's been going on for quite some time, you know what we're seeing uh, in today's uh, environment is exactly what you said. We're seeing companies, you know, attract talent at a very at, at an earlier stage by allowing uh, recent grads to participate in the practical components of the opportunity, uh, and at the same time, give that flexibility to continue on with their education. But but I think the most important piece is preparing them for that next step, right? Because they're getting the practical exposure now uh, versus later, which in turn will help them, you know, just achieve and, and surpass the CPA course, Right now, look, this has been happening even before the pandemic and before the challenges that we're facing now, right? You know, I remember you know, going back to my uh, university that I graduated from and encouraging students as they go through their accounting classes, you know what, to the best of your ability, augment it with practical work experience, right? Uh, And and so that hasn't changed. It has just taken on a different phase. So I appreciate you highlighting that.
1: Rich, I have a very interesting question that's come in from the attendee, um, you know, that hits very close to The question that Dr. Williams asked you, but this attendee specifically is bringing up how Sarbanes-Oxley really changed um, how finance professionals worked in the field. But without a CPA, they're curious to know whether you anticipate ever going back to a place where finance and accounting were both valid, both valid and valued fields of study and work.
2: So that that's an interesting question. and and uh, look, my take on that is the accounting profession will always be valued. Uh, my take on that is the accounting profession is and will be as interesting as you want it to be. You know, sobe oxley was created because of you know the fall of Enron and and MCI will come and and creating that independence. but ultimately, it 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 was an opportunity for the profession. To evolve in the landscape that you know they service, you know Dr. Williams and I made some notes and I hate to look away. At the beginning of his presentation, he mentioned what students are looking for. Right, four things: purpose-driven work, people-oriented, interacting with people, having an impact above and beyond just financial statements is how I interpreted that, and solutions-oriented. You know, those four things resonates with me because the accounting profession can be exactly that. When you think about solutions oriented, right, outside of financials and, and audit, think about business performance improvement, think about strategies and increasing productivity. All of that is built from an, a strong accounting foundation. So again, Shivani, to answer your question specifically, I don't think it, it it went away, but in the event that it paused and meaning, meaning the importance of, of the trade and the profession, if it did, I think it'll quickly come back.
1: That's an interesting perspective. And I just wanna take a second to see that we have a lot of questions coming in with regards to um, CPA (laughs) requirements. But this is one that I think is kind of interesting. And Elizabeth, I think that you are in an exceptional place to um, speak to this. There's an attendee that asks, not instead, but why not require a number of hours of internship work as opposed to additional schooling hours in order to sit for the exam. And the reason why I want to bring this up to you is because I know that oftentimes obtaining an internship while you're working is not as easy um, as people think, especially for minority um, community members. And so if you can speak to this, but also kind of talk about how the ICPA is approaching diversity in the field Um, socioeconomically, but also racially?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I will be honest, I, you know, I don't have all the governing uh, background. The Illinois, Illinois actually has a separate board called the Illinois Board of Examiners, and they manage all of that process. I will say that within Illinois, internship credit, if it appears on a college transcript, can count towards your overall hours. So that is definitely something that some states are willing to consider as part of the experience. Um, And I think that, like I mentioned, with this co-op type program that's currently being developed and piloted, there are more opportunities for work experience to have more overlap with some of the credit hours required in order to um, obtain those that additional coursework Um, specifically within Illinois, though, you know, diversity, racial and ethnic diversity is a huge priority for us. And we have sort of a five pronged approach to advancing diversity within the accounting profession. Um, And we we go sort of by stage. So the first stage we approach is building an accounting pipeline. And really what we try to do is build awareness of the accounting major among high school students that they know the profession exists and that they might begin to consider the major once they get to college. Um, We also provide resources to students once they are in college to help them obtaining their degree. Um, stage three is preparing and placing and in successful internships. So we have a variety of resources and programs there to really connect students to opportunities and employers. Um, our fourth stage is fostering success in the workplace. So we are focused on launching a mentorship and customized training program that really helps to bridge some of the skill skills gaps um, that especially diverse students face once they graduate and enter the workforce. And then our fifth step is converting accounting majors to CPA. So we have initiatives and resources at all five of these different levels. And our goal is really to be there to support students and CPA candidates from day one through the end to help them you know, achieve their goals, have successful careers and ultimately stay in the profession. Thank you. Uh,
0: Shivani, I, I would like to kind of throw something out there because I see um, in the chat room um, what Elizabeth is talking about is one kind of conversation, which is the requirements. On the other side is this idea of the salary and the pay. And there seems to be quite a number of people interested in that. Yeah. And so if I could try to intersect with Elizabeth's share and to address the salary because then Rich could maybe chime in. What, traditionally what has happened in the past is the requirement for a job in accounting says that you have to have a degree in accounting. Many of the other um, uh, finance is definitely one of them is not necessarily looking for just finance majors to start in their finance career. Um, they have a little bit more flexibility. So how this kind of translates for me is you would be surprised at the number of students that have at least two majors or a major and a minor versus when I went and got my undergraduate in accounting. And so I had a, a student that was an engineer. He was interested in fintech. Many engineers went into finance in the past. But he was at an inflection point between whether he should use his engineering degree to go into engineering or finance. And so he came back and said he landed on engineering. His initial pay salary was $72,000 with an undergraduate degree and a $10,000 bonus. I don't think that we should chase the salary, but I think that we should find the candidates. Who may have an interest, maybe they minor. We have lots of MIS with accounting minors. They're not necessarily accounting majors. If they have the right skill set in terms of technical skills um, from some of their undergraduate coursework, we can then move them in the direction of picking up the 150 credits by getting a master's degree in accountancy. Their undergrad wasn't in accounting, but their master's degree is accounting. And now those students can now become CPAs. So I think at the point of the employers, um, maybe broadening who you're actually looking for may be helpful because you may be able to teach some of the transactional skills in the beginning
1: before rich chimes in to offer us his perspective on that question I think I like first of all thank you so much for bringing up the conversation about pay and compensation and salary because I think we're getting a not I think we're, we're getting a lot of these questions but I think the other bigger elephant that's in this room and um, that should be addressed when we talk about compensation and pay is really the economic conditions that we're in right now so rich I, I prod you to give us your perspective on the remarks that Dr. Williams just gave us, but also, can you shed some light on what effect a recession and resulting layoffs have in, um, you know, hiring finance and accounting talent?
2: Certainly. So, a few things, and I just have to say, I enjoy partnering with Elizabeth and Dr. Williams because they're really teeing me up. Right. You think about what Elizabeth just said and the four prong approach uh, for college students. Well, it should be the same for employers. You think about what Dr. Williams just said, in terms of, you know, getting that practical experience and then, you know, sitting for that master's degree. And employers should, you know, help uh, transition those individuals in. You know, look, it's 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 both well said. From a sense of employers need to do whatever they need to do within reason to not, not only attract talent. But but higher talent with a with a robust onboarding uh program so they can teach them as they grow with the company. And I think that's what Dr. Williams was alluding to. In doing that, you know, they need, and this is every employee, there needs to be whether it's annual or semi-annual performance reviews to recognize all of their success, but to help, you know, overcome challenges, right? And I think if employers are consistent with that, retention will go up, employee engagement will go up. Now, to answer your question specifically on the hiring trends that we're seeing in light of a recession or whatever is coming down the pike, look, I'm not an economic uh, economist, but what I can certainly say is we still see a robust hiring market for specialized skilled individuals, right? And there are challenges... In identifying those people, attracting those people, hiring those people, retaining those people, right? So, so again, we urge all companies, whether you're working with us or not, to the best of your ability, offer and consider everything out there in order not to lose talent. Now, what I also want to say, Shivani, before I hand it back to you, you know, we're talking about candidate recruitment, right? And and new hires. I think we also as employers need to pay attention to the existing staff that we have, who's been with you for a while. And look, it's its its no secret that the replacement cost for individuals coming into the workforce is the highest that it's ever been, higher than the last four years, right? Because you have to pay higher salaries to attract the talent, okay. Whether it's, it's what we're facing with now or whether or not that's gonna continue, I can't say with 100% certainty, my guess is yes, well, what but what about the employees that you have that's been with you for three, five, seven plus years? You know, Pay attention to that. Make sure that as you're paying a higher salary for incoming individuals, that you revisit what your existing staff is being paid and, and get them to a point where it's market-based as well. Not only are you showing your appreciation, but you're retaining them. Don't let them leave and jump ship, especially your best employees, right? To other com- companies or more specifically your competition. So again, I, I hope I covered uh, everything that you asked.
1: You definitely did, and I'm glad that you brought up um, retention of employees, of current employees, but also you know, revisiting their salaries to make sure that it's at market level. I guess what I want to follow up with is beyond what you outlined for us just now, is there any other considerations employers should take when coming up with their retention strategies? Is it as simple as really revisiting salaries and making sure they're at market level? Or do you think that employers can do more to retain current finance and accounting talent?
2: Great question. Look, I, I, I don't think it's only on compensation. You know, that's a that's a significant part of it. but But I think it's important for employers to... Ensure that their employees share in the vision of the company. And what do I mean by that? Solicit feedback, solicit input. Where does, where do you, not only where you want to go from a professional development perspective, but, but where would you like the company to go? So making sure that they're part of that will also help. I think, you know, also look, life happens, right? It's, it's been happening before the pandemic. It will continue to happen a long time after that, right? And if, if, if there is a silver lining, I think, the silver lining is employers are becoming more in tuned with understanding that and offering flexibility to their employees to experience life. Now that could be a work-life balance, that could be, you know, obligations that they have, that could be, you know, personal events that they have. But but employers should should ultimately, above and beyond compensation, Trust their employees to participate in the vision or help participate in the vision or create the vision and help participate in it. But at the same time, you know, create that environment where it's, it's, it's okay to work remotely if you need to or to come in late if you need to or to take time off to enjoy it with family if you need to and not, not feel guilty about it. And the last thing I would say to that point is leaders within those companies should follow suit. Right, should should take time off, should come in late if they have something pending, right? So it's it's a team oriented environment. But certainly, certainly there are other things companies can do above and beyond compensation in today's market.
1: I want to pivot the conversation to go back to a point that Dr. Williams brought up that I personally found very insightful, which was um, the introduction of FinTech roles. Um, the opportunity to pursue finance at technology companies and kind of how FinTech has really boomed over the last couple of years. There's an attendee question here that we think ties really well into that aspect, which is how is AI going to impact the profession and to what degree do you think, Rich?
2: So, so it's interesting. I remember, you know, when I first started practicing, you know, the big thing was, well, accountants now I, am dating myself and I'm going back way back, right. Uh, should really excel in communication, right. And, and be more social and all of that. But, but you fast forward to today, technology is part of the profession. It will continue to play a big, big role in the profession. You speak specifically about AI, AI and accounting could very well be, um, you know, black line sitting over your ERP system that allows you to complete your closings in uh, a, a shorter period of time, right? That saves money, that saves uh, overtime, that saves stress and all of that. Uh, artificial intelligence, AKA technology, we're seeing more and more of that in the accounting profession. We're seeing that in, in, in high transaction uh, uh, areas as well, You know, processing of payables, uh, processing of receivables, assuming everything balances out. Look, I, I think it'll continue to play an extensive role and should continue to play an extensive role because accounting isn't necessarily, you know, booking a journal entry in one of your manual ledgers. I mean, we've, or, or using a number two pencil and, and you know, chomping on it when, when when you're stressed. I think, look, we've made a lot of progress and we'll continue to make a lot more progress in the field incorporating technology.
1: The parallels that you draw between the differences um between traditional and now more modern roles i think is interesting um but also i think when we think about traditional counting, what really comes to my mind immediately and i sit a little bit further away from this profession so i think i want to you know tee up dr williams to come and give me some insight on this but from your students, what are you hearing with regards to how the big four um, accounting firms are addressing this? There's um, There's often this say or it's considered that a career in public accounting is really, you know, a meat grinding career. Do you hear this sentiment from your students often? And what, I guess, Rich, do you think that the big four should change about um, work cultures or perhaps in specific to this profession to address this meat grinding perception (laughs) that people have?
2: Well, you know, look, I I don't want to offend anyone on this call, but, you know, the big four and what they do is a little bit different than private accounting, right? Where I believe you get more exposure uh, to the other side of the financial statements from transaction processing to closings to the financial reporting versus audit, right? Which you predominantly get within the big four, at least at least in your first couple of years. Understanding that and, and, and answering your question specifically, Shivani, I do think in an effort to have more students enroll in, in the CPA uh, classes, to to have more individuals enter that field, I do believe that organize public accounting firms should address the items with extensive overtime, address the items with, you know, doing the same function for several years, address the items of, you know, all of the stress that's associated with it. I mean, look, these are to a certain extent, does it exist? Currently, the way it existed, you know, five, six, seven years ago. I hope not, but, but that's, if it doesn't, that's no reason to take your, your, your eyes off the road. It's something that should be addressed if we want to continue to attract individuals in the field. Because you think about the big four, right? There's some, they are combined the biggest employer for accountants, right? Because they hire hundreds, if not thousands, you know, every year. Right. So, but, but they also, you know, I think there was an article not too long ago where KPMG did some type of an adjustment as well. They're also the first to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to adjust based on, you know, what's coming or what we're hearing from our customers as well. So I think, yes, the answer unequivocally is yes, it should be addressed uh, and it should be an ongoing thing because you can't expect them to stop cold Turkey from what, you know, it's been happening over the last, you know, 50 or so years.
0: Yeah, uh, Rich, I uh, this reminds me of like one of the things that I left off my first comment with, which is a blind spot and a blind spot. um, Shivani, to your question is what is accounting today? Um, Students, we may know on this call what it is today, but in the past, it's been, oh, you're good in math therefore you should go in accounting. Well, today what we're doing in the classroom is it's beyond just excel. You know, we're integrating, you know, R, we're integrating Tableau, we're looking at database management, we're looking at data analytics skills and students aren't necessarily they don't necessarily know that this is what you encounter. So I think the difference between how the CPA firms come out and recruit, it reminds me of baseball like you know, like the, from the minors to the majors, there's kind of like a pathway that uh, Rich just described. Whereas for companies, again, I think it's a great opportunity for us to highlight what the profession looks like. It's very low visible. It is, in fact, what I hear from students, accounting is boring. They think that it is only transactional, but it is not only transactional today, right? So there's an exposure to technology and the use of uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning. I'm thinking of a slide that I had in my deck yesterday that had robotics, AI, machine learning, and, uh, um, um, uh, and and artificial intelligence in that slide. And we talked about it and it's part of their curriculum. Another element that I will tell everybody is that the undergraduate curriculum has a lot of pressure to um, make What students study more flexible. So I had a chance to send someone in the chat before accounting had exactly eight courses. Now our accounting majors only get five courses and they get an option to elect more of the um, courses that they choose to study, which allows them to have broader exposure. So Two things I'm saying. One, how do we increase the visibility of accounting and tell a different story about what the accounting work is? And then two, how do we capture students who may not be aware of accounting, but actually have the skills to be successful in the profession?
3: Dr. Williams, that's such an interesting point that you say the students think it's boring. I've also heard that just as we are in this more modern accounting, you know, students are also afraid that AI might take over some of the jobs that are available to them as recent graduates. And so some of our messaging that we really try to push and focus on is like, yeah, technology might... Take over the most boring parts of your role as an accountant, which leaves so many more opportunities for you to explore and do interesting things and be strategic and advise and help businesses grow and do some of those things that you were talking about earlier to create impact, to have meaningful careers and pursue, you know, kind of blend some of their personal, personal passions with their uh, professional goals.
2: You know, Elizabeth, I just want to jump in there because I think that's a, that's a point well made. Artificial intelligence technology will never replace the role of an accountant. It will certainly, uh, replace the the high transactions. It will make the accountant job a lot easier and more interesting because then you can interpret the data. You can interpret the data to increase profits or increase revenue or, you know, whether it's from an ERP perspective, maximizing that ERP to reduce overhead or, and I can go on and on and on and on. And I think those are the things that needs to be publicized more so than your traditional monotonous work. Now, monotonous, I'm going to replace with cyclical, right? Because accounting by nature is cyclical because it's the, it's the same closings, it's the same reporting and so on and so forth. But by no means is that the end all be all. I think if you allow yourself as a student or as an employee to think like that, then you will be in that boat. Challenge yourself to think beyond that because the opportunity in accounting and the opportunity to do more than the cyclical things, it's here now and it will continue to be here for a very long, permanently. I mean, it's not going away. And the foundation of accounting, and I'm not just saying that because I'm an accountant, the foundation of accounting, look, it's not easy. It's going to require sweat equity. We all know that, right? It's going to require time and effort. We all know that. The best things in life requires you to do that. But once you have it, never mind it being taken away from you, once you have it, it's your ticket to professionally grow and do a lot of interesting things. And I I, I just think your point is well said because that part of it isn't publicized
0: as much as it should be. So I wanted to add that. Yeah, Rich, I think I think one of the uh, things that your comments kind of made me think about, and it really stems from what Elizabeth said is about the time commitment. Um, Students learn we're required to record videos that are within seven minutes and post videos on uh, every course. And so um, they are actually their brains have been reshifted in terms of the length of a song, the length of what they see. So the idea of how work is structured also is important. And if it could be more towards the solving a problem and less towards the transaction, I think that would be actually very interesting for students because it's not the rigor. It's the approach to the work, um, doing sitting in, uh, behind a desk for you know, eight to 10 hours doing tax returns or something like that. Um, that is not what's interesting to them. And another element of that is that some of the small businesses that are a lot more manual are where a lot of students are getting their first experience. So there is a comment about part-time work. I think if we could connect corporations, the private accounting companies to students, um, it doesn't do any harm to their internship at a big four, but it does help them in terms of understanding the new work environment for
2: accountants. 100%. You know, in in as much as as that note is in the chat and I don't want it to be a uh, selfish plug, but feel free to connect with me after, or anyone at Robert Half, because we could certainly represent you in that capacity, right? Whether it's part-time opportunity while you continue on your your college education, or whether it's uh, immediately after school to get that exposure. Accounting isn't isn't only public, right? It's public and private. It's both. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there and and help in any way. Dr. Williams, I would also say, you know, you brought up something that's extremely interesting that I I would encourage all employers to participate in, which is which is getting, you know, that graduating class or a group of students into the office place prior to interviewing or posting that job, getting them exposed, especially if you're in a big city, getting them exposed to to that environment because it's exciting. I mean, I I don't want to, you know, just Come across like that but it's exciting you're in the hustle and bustle you know you're you're among the masses in an otherwise virtual or very secluded environment right and i think that's extremely important uh, and getting back to the basics because that was all done you know uh, up to a few years ago and, and we all got away from it because we got away from it it's time to revisit that and dust it off so again i want to acknowledge that well said oh yeah office business count <laughs> Thank and you. there are no deductibles to that office visit, so that's even
1: better. <laughs> Thanks, Rich, for jumping in there. Um, and also, thank you, Dr. Williams, for bringing up, you know, the um, the aspect about part-time work. It's actually an attendee question that came in re- referencing a recent article from the Wall Street Journal that reported the number of people working part-time rose by 1.2 million in December and January. Rich, I'm curious to know your thoughts on how you think this might affect the profession, if at all.
2: I, I don't necessarily think it's gonna that's going to have a material impact on the profession as the profession is today. And what do I mean by that? There are times where companies will hire, you know, call it the gig worker, or hire people on a contract basis in accounting specifically to get over a hurdle. That hurdle can take the shape and form of a lot of different things, right? So knowing that i don't i don't see that as materially impacting the profession in a negative way or positive. I, it's neutral is what i would say
1: thank you so much so i want to be mindful of the time that we have left together which is 10 more minutes and i want to take in some attendee questions and a lot of them elizabeth <laughs> focus on cpa requirements and so i'm going to take some and i would love if you'd be able to offer your insights. And this one reads, you know, given some states are considering not requiring 150 credit units to sit for the CPA exam, does the public accounting profession value the master and an accountancy master degree as much? And I think that's also a question that Dr. Williams could shed some light on as well.
3: Yeah, Dr. Williams, I thought it was interesting earlier when you said that you your chat was starting to go crazy um, when students realized that they can begin to sit at 120 hours. There has definitely been some confusion in Illinois since implementing that rule um, on January 1st of this year and we tried to make it really clear that 150 hours is still required in order to become licensed as a CPA and that's still what firms are looking at. They're looking to hire you based on when you will be obtaining your 150 credit hours um, in order to extend those full-time offers. So From my experience working with firms, I honestly don't know that they care so much how you end up getting those hours. The most important thing to them is that you have the hours. That said, they recognize that a master's of accountancy program better prepares you for, I'm sorry, let me backtrack, can better prepare you for the rigor of the CPA exam. Um, It can better prepare students for, you know, It gives them the more in-depth look into what they may be doing as a full-time tax staff or full-time audit professional. Um, However, I don't think that the firms are specifically looking for master's degrees. Um, That might be different state to state, firm to firm. um, But Dr. Williams, I'd love to get your perspective on that as well.
0: Sure. Thank you, Elizabeth. I I, I can't use the numbers, but I would tell you that the pass rate for our master's of accountancy students is amazing. It's shocking what happens with that additional one year of study after undergrad, because undergrad is kind of sorting and shifting, but graduate students are students who may have had experience Um, A lot of career shifters come to the master's of accountancy. So this, uh, the master's of accountancy actually holds value again to what I said of like, not just hiring people who have accounting degrees, but people who have experience in the workforce and have decided that I want the stability of accounting as a profession. They also are enrolled in the master's uh, program and they are the ones that do really well um, with the, the, the CPA exam. The pass rate is just... You know, it's way above the rate for those who just study and get the uh, 120 credits.
1: Elizabeth, there's another interesting question that I think ties into the conversation that we're having right now, but this attendee is looking for some advice that you would give to a candidate who's passed the four parts, but now must complete additional credit hours and to meet the 150 hour requirement. Um they're asking and they're curious to know, you know, is this a barrier to protect those in the CPA profession? I wonder if you can take that.
3: It took me a second to come off a mute. Um, So I thought the question was looking for two things. And one was advice on how to achieve those extra hours if you've already passed four sections of the exam. So first of all, I would say that that is a really personal decision and can differ from person to person. Um, But as far as advice, I would really encourage you to explore all your options and talk to you know, everybody that you can to see what type of support is available. Talk to your employers. Talk to your um, school to see what types of scholarships or compensation might be available to you. Talk to your state society. Look to the AICPA. Um, There are so many resources to support you. You know, my goal is to help students and CPA candidates earn their CPA. I will do whatever I can and implement any resources possible to help you achieve those goals and so definitely I would encourage people to make use of these resources that are available for that exact purpose Um, and the second thing was about protecting the profession and we talked about this a bit earlier on a prep call my understanding of the history behind the initial change to the 150 hours to be certified is that when this came about in the 90s it was really with the intention of better preparing accounting graduates for entry level Public accounting positions and ultimately yielding better performance on the CPA exam. So, just like Dr. Williams said, you know, those who pursue this, this additional advanced coursework have greater, have demonstrated greater success and pass rates in passing the CPA exam.
1: Thank you. The mute button got the best of me as well just then. But I have one question, one last one to bring us all home, and I think this one will really pertain to Rich, um, but I would prod both of you to jump in if you feel like you can share some insights. But this attendee is looking for someone to address the pay difference for accounting versus finance starting positions. Rich, is that in your domain?
2: It is, but you know when when you say finance positions understand that that's just a broad bucket right uh so if it's if it's if it's your traditional finance opportunities so what am i referring to that entry level analyst right uh exa- reconciling analyzing data assisting with the budget it's in alignment with entry level accounting roles that deals with you know the general ledger and assisting with closing so it's it's almost, you know, lateral when it comes to that. But when, when you think financials and you think, you know, more on the M&A side, look, there could be a disparity, right? Because now you're working in a industry that is more driven towards your Wall Street type opportunities that, that the compensation is also aligned with heavy performance bonuses and, and all of that. So I just want to be clear. That when people talk finance roles, that it is, th- there are so many different, uh, functional responsibilities in finance, but the finance roles that aligns with your accounting roles, so analyzing data, reconciling the data, uh, uh, uh projecting the data, right? Um, uh, those are at the same pay, pay compensation points as your traditional accounting roles. I don't, so Shivani, I hope I was able to at least assist with answering that because, you know, um, there no, could also th- be some large disparities there as well.
1: Thank you. And I, I think you did a great job at kind of differentiating um, the two, but also kind of talking about really how broad of a function finance is. Um, we are a time, uh, but I have one final question that I think could bring us all home in a really, really great way. So. Um, to the attendees, I totally understand if you have to drop off because we are at time. But I want to ask one final question to all of the panelists that we have here today, starting with Rich, which is, do you think a bounce back is possible where we'll eventually see the number of accountants that we lost come back to the profession, perhaps um, the numbers even exceeding pre-pandemic levels? Um And I guess, Dr. Williams, for you, my question is adapted to the academic field, which is that 17% decline. Do you think that can hike back up and perhaps even exceed um, pre-pandemic levels of students coming into finance and accounting degrees?
2: So Shivani, I would answer that question unequivocally, yes. And the reason I say that is simply because every business out there uh, requires an accountant on accounting team, and you know, as I mentioned at the beginning of the presentation, accountants I believe always finds a way. Uh, so yes, I am. I am confident that we will see uh, enrollment levels and participation levels in the profession get back, uh, if not exceed, um, to where it's been. I would also say it requires participation from employers and everyone involved because we also have to change the mindset, but just the stigma that's out there from, from what accounting is, is considered versus what it actually can be.
0: Right. I totally agree with uh, Rich's perspective. Um, I definitely think we will bounce back. Um, uh, we're counter cyclical. So uh, bad economy means good stuff for uh, the accounting. But um, there are the messaging about what accounting is. Three things we say accounting is in our department, which is one, it's technology. Two, it is relevant. Three, it is decision making. So the real opportunity, I think, for employers is to be a little bit more flexible in who you identify as a good candidate for your accounting department. Because if you expose them and give them awareness of what it is, you could take students who may not have necessarily majored in accounting, but could excel in accounting giving the opportunity.
1: Thank you so much. Elizabeth, any remarks you want to add with regards to the question that I just posed? I'm just
3: thinking back to what Rich said and you know, not only Dr. Williams is it relevant, it's also necessary. So with 75% of CPAs eligible to retire, that gap is going to need to be filled some way somehow and eventually we will get back there because the profession will continue to make changes to become desirable.